Amen. Give it up for the Lord. You made it to church. You're alive. Praise God. Some of you, I should say, welcome back. Praise the Lord. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. I feel like we're switching congregations right now. Uh, some are coming out of quarantine. Some are going to quarantine. Uh, you know, and I am just praying right now for the hand of the Lord to keep me strong because I have not caught this wave. I have not. A lot of my friends who caught the first wave caught this wave. They didn't catch Delta, but they're getting Omicron. And uh, once again, this one is not as bad as the others as we've talked about. Uh, most of COVID isn't bad for anybody. 0.8% don't have issues. Uh, only 0.8% have issues. But how many want to go through this untouched by COVID? You just want to go through it, amen. So I'm hoping. But if you see me take a 10-day sabbatical, then you'll know what's going on. So then just keep me in prayer, amen. I always keep it real in the church. Some people don't like it that I keep it real, you know. I keep it real. When we went through... Um, uh, the beginning stages of COVID, and we let people know that we were having an outbreak and different things. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, we warned you guys. Like, no, no, no. We understood what we were getting into when we first started. All of us as adults made a decision to keep coming, whether we get it or not, because we believed that it would be the best for us, our culture, and for our, our families. And yes, uh, sometimes that doesn't go the way you like it. Like, I got sick. Others got sick. I mean, it happens. Uh, but now, and I think it's kind of funny because I think they said this last time on one of the Facebook posts that used to give us the most trouble. Uh, it was a neighborhood Facebook page with a few thousand followers. One of them had said, uh, I think during the second wave, well, we can't blame Metro Praise now because <laughs> it's seeming to do what it's going to do with or without Metro Praise. And I kind of, you know, if, if I was a sassy preacher, uh, Brother Jason, I would put it up right now. Well, you can't blame Omicron on us, you know, because I think y'all gave us Omicron, you know. I was, I was fine in the church until somebody got it from their job or wherever. I was talking to one brother in the church. He said uh, upwards of 40, 50 people out of uh, work at his job, and uh, he's been doing the work there. And then he, uh, he said, this is a good time to ask for a raise. I'm the one left here. <laughs> so he's asking for a raise. Lord bless him with a raise. Amen. Uh, at the same time, just thank you as a congregation for all that you're doing during this time to do what's right. I've always said that about our church and just Christians in general. We've always been good to look out for each other. We've we've done that before COVID. We'll do that after COVID. People have flu. Stay home. You have a, a cough that may be contagious. Go to the doctor. Have it checked out. Our staff and those who work with me will tell you that I'm always uh, asking them to do that. Uh, if I hear you cough like more than once in one of our meetings, I'm like, man, have you got that checked out? Seriously, I'm just one of those guys, man. I'm just one of those guys that 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 wants people to do the best thing according to their health. And then and then this happened. And then you know now we lost trust in the government and what's up with this vaccine and all of this kind of made us hyper skeptical of the medical community. But I think if you do your due diligence, and trust me, I've gone to the sites that are a little bit more conspiratorial, but I think even when you hear from them, I'm not hearing anybody really deny that it's a sickness or deny that vaccines work. There's a few anti-vaccine places that I've read about, but they're just more about thinking your body can recover from things, and then if you get sick, they can deal with it at X, Y, and Z way, you know, the, these different uh, vitamin packs or whatever they give you. But I'm not a doctor uh, in that way. I am a doctor of theology, but can you, can you hear my heart in this for a minute? Somebody say, tell me, Pastor. Hey, thank you. I'll just tell you right here. I think what, what we'll do best in the long term is what we've been doing, Let each person make up their own mind, their own decision to their conscience, and then guard our friends and families according to what we know is best. If you have someone that is... Uh 
probably um, a high, um, you know, fatality rate with this. I'm trying to think, what does that mean? Preconditions. Has high preconditions or what you know of could be a high risk. There's the word. Then social distance in our services during these times. Social distance at life group. Wear a mask. Do whatever you feel comfortable doing. Um, it's not going to make me feel uncomfortable. It's not going to make our ushers feel uncomfortable. I had told our church during this time to make sure we clean the mics during the different uh, people coming up. Uh, also try to do some more spraying of the chairs and things. I'm just that kind of person. I, I, like I said, I've been doing that before this. I was the kind of guy that had hand sanitizer in my car before COVID. Was anybody else like that? But I'm not a germaphobe, and I don't get vaccines. I don't get vaccines. That's just me. I did when I went to uh, India, and I never thought twice about it, but I did, I did get some vaccines then. But, here, but here's my heart. Watch out, though, for those who get power during this time and not want to give it back. Because notice that Omicron was supposed to be this big, deadly version of COVID, and yet it turned out to be less than Delta, but we still have the vaccine mandates now in our restaurants. So they slip it in with the fear of Omicron. They're like, Omicron is bad. Where they were right, and we got to give them a check next to her name, their name, this Mamma Jamma spreads fast. Okay, let's just be honest. I mean, right when I started hearing about it, I started getting all the sick notices, and it's been going on for about three weeks, and they say this is the highest spread rate America's ever had. This is it. I mean, right now, you look at any state from the time that the virus has come out. Now, they're doing more testing and all those things, but it's the highest spread rate, okay? But most people say it's mild and all of that. But, but here, here's what I would say. If you're going to use Omicron in the science, somebody say science, you know, science. You're going to use the science to say it's going to be worse, and it's, and it's going to cause us to need to have vaccine uh, passes to go everywhere. Well, then back it up with the, the science. Everybody say science science. Back it up with the science. And what has the science shown us with vaccines, with infections to Omicron? It doesn't do anything. Now, once again, some people will push back and say, well, it's still to lessen the severity of the symptoms. But hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not why you said we needed vaccine passes. You didn't say I needed a vaccine pass because you just didn't want me to have as severe of symptoms. That's not why you said I needed a vaccine. The reason the government said you and I needed vaccines was so that we wouldn't be super spreaders, you know, the super spreaders, right? Um, which, by the way, I've been told I've killed grandma because of what I've done, you know, not being vaccinated and going on with life as normal. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry my immune system is stronger than yours, but I'm still here and I will be here for a while. And, and I feel bad for the Christians who should have. And let me just say this. I feel bad for the Christians who probably should have got vaccines, obese, struggle with um, asthma, heart conditions, and then they go off and get ludicrous about preaching about it and then they die. That's a little bit of a womp womp. Everybody, you know, feel what I'm saying there. It's a little bit of a want want. Should have chilled out a little bit and thought about what you were physically. Um, but that's nothing new. We've had kookiness and charismania for a long time. But anyways, going back to this, looking at the science, what have we seen? Omicron is just a tough mamma jamma. Uh, the vaccine doesn't stop it from spreading, and natural immunity doesn't stop it from spreading. Those who have had COVID before, you know, they were going back on the science. Who's more... Um, 
resistant. Those who have had the vaccine plus the, you know, the booster, the three-shot total thing, or those who have had COVID before, you know, it was going back and forth. The, the science of Israel said that the natural immunity was seven times stronger, and then the uh, CDC, that's America study, said that the vaccine folks were four times stronger. So if you take the difference, the natural immunity still is three times stronger. But, um, but what we saw with Omicron is those who I knew that didn't have vaccines but had the infection of the first round, boom, got it quick. You know what I'm saying? And uh, thankfully, nobody's had it really uh, serious in this church, but we are praying for friends and family that we've seen online and people talking about that. And so I just want to let you know as a church that I want to give our giving report when most of our church is here. We still, we're still pretty full, but we're still missing a lot of our people and our administrator and other people that want to be here. So we're, we're going to uh, keep going. And then on top of this, somebody say, I'll pray for you, pastor. On top of this, my wife sent me a picture in the first service of our van being stuck in our driveway because of a Saturday ice storm, right? Didn't I already prophesy this? Every blizzard, every ice storm, when is it coming, folks? What day of the week? Saturday. It will be coming Saturday. The blizzard coming up this week. It doesn't matter if there's a blizzard Thursday. It's still going to be one Saturday, okay? It doesn't matter if it ice rains Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's still will ice rain Saturday, but, but that was pretty impressive. My wife, you made it out. Did you ask the neighbor for help? That's so awesome. Let's give it up for our neighbors that helped. They are veterans. I pray for them. One of them is a disabled vet that had had an injury from the war in, in the Middle East. I pray for them. Bless them, Lord. We need to do something nice for them. Maybe order some food for them. Bless them. Okay, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Somebody say the flesh versus the spirit. Amen. That's my little, day, you know, um, Shapiro uh, podcast thing I like to do before services. Hopefully we'll be able to get past this, you know, but I just want everybody to know I care about you. I'm praying for you. And that's my advice going forward. Uh, going to um, Galatians chapter five, verse 13. Want to hop right into it. I, I added the context there just in case we needed to go back to it, but I think I'm confident we can go to verse 13. Those who are new, we're going through the book of Galatians, second service, verse by verse, John and first service, and uh, today we're on 5 verse 15, and I believe God has already shared with me where we're going after the book of Galatians, and it's going to be amazing. So just keep coming, watching what God will do, but I have to give it up for the second service folks, because normally John has been like shouting messages, like really like emotionally high, kind of like the tickling of the Holy Spirit messages. And there's been a lot of serious talk in Galatians. So I'm going to try to flip flop it. So I have a real exciting thing that I think it's going to encourage you for the second service. Though, of course, I know this is encouraging. And then for the first service, we're going to get serious. We're going to get serious with them. Yeah, man, like maybe go to first Corinthians with them, have them to learn about the mess of the church and clean it up, kick people out, you know, because they've been having it too easy in John. On, you know, half kid there. But it's, it's a joy to do this. I am a typical pastor. I used to preach the same message twice, and then I just got bored of that. You know, how many know pastors get bored sometimes, right? You just get bored doing what you do. And I'm like, nah, I, I, I'm like having to repeat it. I'm like, why not just challenge myself and just make a whole new sermon? And then I did it, and it felt fun. And I'm like, here we are. So now I'm going to do this until I get bored with that. You know, the word of God's never boring. I'm just saying for me, it's kind of like a job. I work on Sundays. How many of you understand what I'm saying there? You know, I'm just being honest. I work. I got to come up here and put in work. I know it looks easy. All I have to do is put on my jeans, my sketchers. You know, what are those? Just in case you were wondering. Sketchers, 
nice little hoodie and show up and do my thing. I know it looks easy, but there's a lot of stuff going on up here in the heart, in the life that I have to live to do this. And so I like to keep it fun and interesting. And definitely preaching two different messages on Sundays takes it out of me. After this, like, I am exhausted. I am ready just to chill. And then, of course, and by God's grace, we teach in the Bible college, my wife and I, on Mondays. And we've been enjoying that. And I just want to tell you, when we go to the giving report, and you guys see what the church has done this year and what we've given away and what we're building, it is so exciting. So I just want to say a thank you ahead of time. Amen. Can you just say thank you, Jesus, with me? Come on. You will not be disappointed. And I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the next week when we do all the numbers, and then you look at your neighbor and you go, that happened here at this church. They gave that much and gave away that much. That church. Yeah, right here. Because God uses people like us. Amen. It's not big eyes and little U's. It is every person doing their part in the body of Christ. And that's why I love here. You don't know if you're sitting next to a millionaire or someone who's just started their first career or got their first job or their first girlfriend. We heard that testified in the church. I'm not going to call them out. But, uh, you know, you never know. But, but it's just we're all here together and we're just living life. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, the flesh versus the spirit. Paul writing to the church of Galatia, he says, you my brothers and sisters were called to be free. Somebody say I'm called to be free. Thank you. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law. How much of the law? Thank you, law. Uh, thank you. The entire law is keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Let's keep going. I want to give you the whole context. It's just one main point here. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Somebody say the Spirit. Thank you. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see the message where we're going here? The flesh versus the spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Oh, come on. Somebody say, I'm by the spirit, not under the law. Amen. We live by the Spirit, not under the law. Verse 19 and onwards, deeds of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Look at your neighbor and say, these are obvious. Amen. You should know this. This is obvious. Your neighbor knows this. At least they know in their heart, if they don't admit it to you, they know this. Everybody knows these are the bad things we shouldn't do. So avoid these things. The flesh, the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Going to keep on going here. Dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. Oh, or, I mean, that's in there. And the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many know the Bible keeps it real? Amen. If, if, they, can read, if they can write it, we can read it. Uh, verse 22. Now, this is the opposite of that. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, forbearance, also patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, I want you to think about what we just read there from 13 all the way to 26. It's like a Holy Ghost sandwich. He starts off at the beginning talking about reading. uh, Excuse me. He talks about loving your neighbor. When we read that, he says, love your neighbor. The law is fulfilled in this, and it's about freedom. So, yeah, just go up to verse 13, please, so they can see it. So freedom is equated with loving your neighbor. Does everybody see that? Okay, just highlight it for them, please. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the first bun. Now if you go all the way down to verse 26, he ends with not being conceited, provoking, or envying each other. It almost seems a little bit odd to bring that up after talking about the flesh and the spirit. But what he is doing is he is sandwiching in his discussion on the flesh versus the spirit in the context of you and I loving each other and treating each other right. Now, I would just like to ask right now, how many of you have looked at Galatians 5 and the deeds of the flesh versus the spirit in that context before? I know I've missed it. I'm usually going right to the meat of the matter, which is in the middle. Don't live by the flesh, live by the spirit. But notice in Paul's letter, he's being very pastoral. He's rebuking the false teachers. He's wanting to protect the sheep from falling into their lies, those lies of legalism like we've talked about before. And he's teaching them how we're justified by grace through faith. He uses Abraham as our example. He then talks about the two mountains. One is Mount Sinai, and that represents the law. And that's what Hagar was, a slave woman. And then he talks about the heavenly Jerusalem, which is, you know, that, that's our new mountain, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion. And that's where Sarah's from. That's, that's the child of promise. And so we, we kind of almost could get wrapped up in this sense of it's just a, a matter of me getting the right doctrine here. That's what Paul wants me to get. That's important, but that's not one of his main points. One of his main points is not just get the right doctrine. He also wants you to have the right heart. Somebody say the right heart. Thank you. I I would say even greater than, uh, well, I don't want to say greater than doctrine, but I would say greater than head knowledge is heart love and heart experience. So in other words, there are people today in cemeteries, I mean seminaries, who may know more about this in a headspace, may know more about this scripture and even Galatians specifically what we're reading today than you or I because they know the original language, they know the Greek, they know how to dissect it and to exegete it is that term for dissecting the Greek and understanding the grammar, but they may not be loving their neighbor as themselves full of the Holy Spirit. So do you see how important that is? That that Paul is wanting us to understand that the sandwich is built up here on loving people. It reminds me, if we could just go there quickly to Philippians chapter 2, it reminds me of of Paul teaching the doctrine of the kenosis or the self-emptying. See, that's a a nice Greek word. Kenosis means to self-empty. If you go down a little bit, please, to verse 5 and onward. Paul is going to teach them to treat one another as Christ has treated us. He's going to call them to humble living. Look at it in verse 5. In your relationship, 
relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So you see how he's setting this up. He's saying, I want to teach you how to have good relationships and the right mindset. What does he now give us? He gives us what is known as the hymn to Christ. He gives us one of the most doctrinally deep, theologically sound understandings of who Jesus is. Talking about Jesus, he says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So in what nature is Jesus? What nature is he in? According to Paul in verse verse 6 there. He's God in his very nature, right? And does he have equality with God that he could use to his advantage? Yes, but he doesn't use it to his advantage, right? Isn't that powerful? But he makes himself nothing, takes the very form of a servant, being found in human likeness, uh, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbles himself even unto death, to the death on the cross, and God exalts him to the highest place, gives him the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. Somebody say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. That's revolutionary talk there to the glory of God the Father. So, so notice how Paul does this. He's going to talk about humility. He's like, man, I want, to, I want you all to be humble with each other. But what I want to do is give you the greatest doctrine you'll probably ever hear in your life. The incarnation of God the Son. God the Son taking on flesh for you and I, dying on the cross and resurrecting and receiving a name that's above every name. So just think about this. Paul wants to teach on humility. He uses the greatest example he can come up up with of humility, he talks about Christ. Now, going back to our notes in Galatians, Paul wants us to understand that there is such things known as the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk about the difference just between deeds of the flesh. That word deeds is going to teach us a theological principle versus fruit of the Spirit. Deeds and fruit will teach us much about that doctrine. But before he gets into all of these details, he starts off with saying, if we could go back up there, please, to verse 13, that what he wants us to get, what he wants us to receive out of this is to love each other, is to not bite and devour each other, to not try to destroy each other. And then going all the way down, then again, good sir, to the last part, I believe it's verse 26, and to not be conceited, not provoking, not envying. Now, let me explain why I believe this is so important is because he wants you to understand that if you think you're religious, you're good with God, and yet you're falsely judging others, being conceited with others, provoking others, jealous of others, your spirituality really counts for nothing. So what this does is it challenges all of us, let's be honest, to come back to this whenever we read it and to go, he's talking to me. He's not just talking to the one who... Who, who does uh, orgies. He's not just talking to that, that, that dirty person, you know. He's not just talking to the one who practices witchcraft. Ooh. He's literally talking to the church member that probably is scoring pretty high on the list of not doing the deeds of the flesh. If we could scroll there, please, and see it. Most people probably in, in Paul's congregation aren't doing these things in Galatia. We have other congregations where they are, but for the most part, the Galatians' uh, problem has nothing to do with this. He never names any of these issues there. He does in Corinth. He says, you're all getting 
drunk off the communion wine. You need to stop that. Another man is having sex with his stepmom. That's gross. That needs to stop, okay? So there's these situations that are happening in his other letters that he's being very clear with them on. But here, he doesn't describe any of this in their life except the ones we would probably not pay much attention to, like selfish ambition, when was the last time you heard somebody repent of that one? Come to the altar in tears. I need to repent of being so selfish in my ambition. Envy, dissensions, factions. Do you notice that even there in the middle of the deeds of the flesh is actually the bonds of this sandwich that's being made? In other words, the bonds are focusing on envy, corruption, and all of that. So we could say maybe there's a little bit of uh, cayenne pepper in that dough, and then the meat is seasoned with the cayenne pepper. Right there in the middle of the deeds of the flesh is selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions, and envy. The things that normally we as Christians would say, nah, it's not that big of a deal. Somebody say, make it plain. Okay, I'll make it plain. Thank you. Help me, Holy Ghost. So people in the church who talk bad about their life groups and their pastors and their leaders would say they're not in the flesh because they're not performing witchcraft, adultery, and drunkenness. But the Bible is literally saying they're just as bad as those folks. So going and causing dissension over issues, factions, breaking things apart, envying, Paul is teaching us is actually taking you fully out of the spirit. He starts off by saying, you want to know what it's like in the new covenant? Go back up there for me, please. I guess we'll just be doing Bible hopscotch in this passage. Thank you. 13, please. You know, he says, you want to know what it's like to be free from the law? Being free from the law is not just you living however you want now because you can eat bacon. You don't have to let the sides of your beard grow out and you, know, you can wear two different kinds of cloth mixed together. That's not the purpose now of having a new covenant. You just get to wear polyester and uh, have a clean shaven beard or whatever. That, that's not the point. What he's saying is the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says it looks like in the new covenant is you are a lover towards your neighbor like how you love yourself and you look out for your neighbor like how you look out for yourself. You do for your neighbor like how you do for yourself. Can I hear an amen? And that's what we're missing in the church even amongst people who would say, I'm pretty good, or I'm pretty good. It's okay to be honest if you're pretty good at not doing the deeds of the flesh. All glory to God. It's not from you, but I understand. I do accountability with others, and I myself am accountable. And if somebody asks me, Joe, how are you doing with debauchery, which is a drunken party, almost like what you see on the music videos. Like, that's debauchery, if you want to have an idea of that. You know, I think of like Paul Wall. That just came to my mind. Weird name right now. That just came to my mind. A Paul Wall video. Some of you don't even know who that is. Is, but that came to mind. That, that uh, Miley Cyrus video. This is how we could just say, you want, you know, that's a big word. We don't know what it means. That's what debauchery looks like. So if somebody was to ask me today in accountability, Joe, we're going to go through the deeds of the flesh. I'm going to ask you how you're doing. Let, let's, let's look at those deeds of the flesh, my good brother. Uh, let's see and, and keep count uh, today. Take shots of water and vitamin C as many times as I ask this guy to move the scriptures today. Amen. Fun, fun game for you staying at home today. Shots of vitamin C every time I ask this brother to move in chapter 5. 
Amen. Okay, so, so look at this. So if I'm in accountability and somebody asks Joe, hey, Joe, how are you doing with sexual immorality? I'm like, I'm good. You know, um, might, might have lusted a few weeks ago, but I talked to the Lord about it. I'm, I'm doing good. Joe, impurity, sex with self, sex with others other than your wife, still good. Debauchery, when was the last time, Joe, you were in a Paul Wall video living that lifestyle? It's been a while, over 20 years, thank God, thank God, you know. Uh, Joe, how you doing with idolatry? Doing pretty good, not putting anything before God. I try to keep God first in my life. Whenever he says I'm not, when I'm not doing, if I put my, you know, my hobbies or uh, just, you know, anything, movies, he, he lets me know. Witchcraft, how are you doing with that? And also in the Greek, that means pharmakeia, the use of drugs. So that's a whole other discussion. If we have time, we'll get into that. How are you doing with worshiping the devil and taking a lot of illicit drugs and, and getting high and taking magic trip shit? or taking trips on the magic ship to mystical lands with peyote. Doing pretty good. But now, watch what happens here. You ask me, Joe, how are you doing with hatred? Joe, how are you doing with discord? Joe, how are you doing with jealousy? Joe, how are you doing with fits of rage, getting angry at people and situations? Joe, how are you doing at dissensions, factions, tearing up friends and envy? And then, you see, that's where it gets to the heart of the matter for a person like me. And I would think that would be for most of us here. Because then we go back into drunkenness. When was the last time you got drunk? It's been a while. When was the last time you were in an orgy? You never did one of those, right? For most of us here, we have to say that. If you have, I've had people in the church that have participated in those. Even in the X industry have come to this church. They're not in the church right now, so don't go looking for them. Uh, but, or they haven't confessed to us. But, but that could possibly be somebody here today. How many want to see those folks get saved and go to church? Amen. And the like, just in case it wasn't covered, there's a lot of similarity in things like that. Okay, well, going back to the point that I'm making here, you got the two buns that are hitting on this, and then you got the, the spice within the meat of this sandwich that hits on it as well. It's right there in the center, and I think that's where we need to focus because I believe those things are the most sneaky things of the flesh that comes into our lives. We'll make excuses for our hatred towards people. We'll say things like, well, they deserve it. Uh, you don't know what they've done to me. And it's very true that people have done things that we should hate. If you have ever been abused, you should hate those things. You should have nothing to do with it. Get free now. We will help you and be an advocate. We are victims advocates here right now. We will help you. So I say that very seriously. But still, that's not an excuse to hate. Because if Jesus, while being nailed to a cross, can say, Father, forgive you, you have to forgive. It's the age-old saying, you keeping unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping that something happens to them. You will both go to hell, but for two different reasons. They will go to hell because they hurt you, abused you, misused you, and defiled you, all of those things. This abuser, this person will go to hell, but you will go to hell because you have cut yourself off from forgiveness. Part of the flow of forgiveness is you forgiving all your enemies. And Jesus was very clear on that, and he taught a parable on that that really gave the example. Here's a person forgiven of a billion dollars worth of debt, and then he shakes down a person that owes him $10 worth of debt. And then Jesus says, that's what it's like. No matter how bad someone has done you, even the worst of the worst, Hitler to mankind, child molesters, as we sum it up towards us and our sin towards God, it's actually much worse. But God forgives us willingly and joyfully. And so, yes, we may hate the sin. We should forgive the sinner. Can I hear an amen? But even moving on just from that, that real intense abuse relationship, let's go just to everyday life. We struggle with hating. We really do because we will love less 
people, we will love them less according to how they treat us. We'll, we'll allow that to change the image of God in them. Literally, we will, watch this, devalue them. And that's a form of hatred. We should even pray for our enemies, the Bible says, for their salvation. We should pray for their blessing. Isn't that what the Bible says? Come on, can I hear an amen? In our first service, I felt, I felt led of the Lord to pray for Mary, uh, Mayor Lightfoot because she needs wisdom right now. There's a lot of things going on, and our, and our students are in the conflict right now of the, you know, the teachers' union in the, in the city, and there needs to be resolution. Someone has to have wisdom there. We need to pray for her. And we need to pray that she'll come to God and that Daniels will rise up in the land. And you have to see that even in your enemy. In other words, if you do not love the way Jesus loves, you are making room for some kind of hate. Let's go to the next one, discord. As we talked about before, these kinds of things that happen in the church or happen in relationships or family, where it's literally taking apart a cord. Think about cords, yarn, things that are strung together and just taking them apart. That's what discord is teaching us in that English word and that we are to avoid it. We are to avoid spreading gossip that will separate friends, as the Bible says. We are to avoid meddling into situations that are not ours to solve or to fix. We are to avoid bringing our offenses to others. Y'all quiet in this Presbyterian church. We are called to, to only bring our problems to the one who has done it to us, not to another about them. See, we are not to bring discord. We are to tighten the cord. Unity is tightening that cord. Jealousy. Envy, you know, very similar here. Wanting what someone else has, uh, someone else has, not celebrating with them. I love how people have said this before. I think it's a spiritual principle that you should watch how people react when you have your moments of mountaintops and you have moments of, of victory. Watch how they react to you. If they take it off of you, put it back to them and their, and their praise is weak, that's a hater, not a celebrator. You want people in your life that are not jealous or envious of you that can let you have a moment, let you have a win, let you be celebrated. Otherwise, you can see what they're dealing with, the jealousy and the envy. Fits of rage. When you and I, and I had one, uh, uh, say kind of, uh, yesterday, uh, but I, I would say the definition of uh, anger and a fit of rage, fit of anger, would be out of control. I was in control, but I was angry, and I did sin and have to apologize, okay? How many of pastors got to apologize? Hey, Amen. Now, don't get quiet on me because I'm confessing. I'll hand you the mic next. And don't you lie in church. I'll hand you the mic next, okay? I'm going to confess. Now, let me confess. And the Bible says that I'll disqualify myself from ministry if I allow that to be a pattern or an uncontrollable behavior. And so I noticed yesterday that the situation wasn't what I thought it was. I was not quick to listen and slow to speak. I was quick to speak and slow to listen. That's the beginning stage of, a, of an angry moment right there. Can I hear an amen? When you're not listening, when you're not listening, you're not taking the time to listen, and then your emotions rise up. This is real talk right here. And, and, when, and when you're angry at somebody and you're treating them out of anger in that way, and the Bible does say there is an anger in which you can sin not, okay? How many have experienced that before? But how many know that's the minority of the time? Most of the time we're in that other kind of anger where we're sinning often, okay? But every now and then you will find yourself in this place and you'll be like, I'm angry. And God will be like, I'm angry too. And you're like, yes, 
God and I are both angry at this situation. Yes, I'm angry as you're angry. We're angry about this situation, you know. Other times, like, I'm angry, and God's like, I'm not angry. Chill out. And I'm like, come on, God, let's get angry together. Let's get angry together, Jesus. You know, it's like, Holy Ghost, activate, activate. Come on, Spirit. Lead me into a cleansing of the temple moment, Jesus. I'm ready. Call on me, you know. Okay? And, and you know, you know when you're there. You know when you're there because most of the time you're telling people you're there. I'm about ready to lose it. I'm about ready. Y'all don't want to hear what I have to say. And you're already telling people you're there. You don't want me to go there. You know where you are already. The moment you've already said you don't want me to go there, you've already gone to that place you should not be. Can I hear an amen from somebody keeping it real? I'll keep it real. That's me. I'll be honest. You're like, oh, you don't want to hear it. I'm going there. I'm going to, you know, you don't want to hear it. So you don't want me to go there. And we really are already lo- losing it. Selfish ambition, putting things before God for our own sake and putting things before others for our own sake. There's a place for competition. I don't think uh, every one of you in your business and in, in your worldly endeavors, you need to be walked on, be taken advantage of. If you work for AT&T, I don't think you should walk over to Verizon and say, uh, you know, here's our deals that we're giving out next week, so I want you to compete with me and beat me, you know. I, I do believe that you can be competitive. I believe you can want to win. I believe you can, you can fight for things that are in your life that are worth fighting for, fighting for a promotion. Amen. How many believe that? Uh, coming before your boss or your boss, you are a boss fighting to take over an industry or at least do well in that industry and be known. I don't think the Bible is, is, is telling us not to do those things. And I can give you proof for that. Look at Jesus and his parables about what he says the kingdom of God is like. A lot of it is about stewards winning and getting rewarded with bags of gold. Can I hear an amen to that? How many want to get some bags of gold from the master? That's literally how a parable starts off. There was a rich man who gave out some bags of gold. Sometimes we think about bags, you know, the talents. Sometimes we just think about like, oh, he gave to you, ballerina, to you, he gave to sing. It's, it's the talents. No, talents in their language meant gold. He is giving you this much gold. He's giving you that much gold and then that much gold. Now go out there and do something with that gold. And you can even see at the end, Jesus is smart because the one man buried it out of fear. And Jesus said, if you knew I was a hardworking man and you were afraid to lose it, you should have brought it to the bank and got some interest on it. Amen? So you know Jesus understood how to come up on things of the financial matters. He's talking about bags of gold. He's talking about multiplying. He's talking about bank and interest. Well, going back to this idea of selfish ambition, what I, what I believe is, it, it is here is putting yourself before others for self-promotion. You see, if you're at AT&T and you want to beat Verizon this week, do that because you believe it's going to help your customers and it's going to help make AT&T better in the, in the economy as co- competitors compete against each other. You get, the, you get my point in that? You're, I said, does anybody get my point? How many believe that by us being in a free economic system, we actually help each other in competition? Okay, because if, if people had monopolies on, let's say Verizon was the only cell phone company, we would be subject to all their prices, all of their high, you know, the high prices and those different things, whatever they want to do in their, in their products. But because there's multiple cell phone companies, now they make each other better by competing with each other. They force each other to go back to the drawing room to help us out as customers to see which one gets the best deal. How many have ever talked to Comcast about what you just heard about AT&T? 
I'm helping you right now to save 50 bucks. You better look at what AT&T is offering and make a call to Comcast because you know Comcast always starts you off at one number. Another year later, they bumped you up and you forgot all about that. You and I have rights as customers to come back. But, but here's my point with saying all of that. When I look at what we would call free market, free market capitalism, or if I look at what I want to be great at in life, like, like if, if today someone's getting called on to do a great assignment, I want to be picked, okay? But I'm only wanting to be picked because I believe it will be the best for you. <laughs> That's why. Because I believe I'm going to do that job good. How many want to get picked because you're going to do a good job? So that's how you can be successful without being selfish, because otherwise, it's all about you. And this is what happened a lot in our social media culture. It's not like it changed our hearts. It just put it on Instagram for the world to see. We are a selfish generation. Man, we are selfish. It is hard. How many find it hard on social media to even celebrate people anymore because they push it so much in your face? It's like it's hard to even give them an attaboy because it's just every picture's with your new house, every picture's with your new coat, every picture's with your new purse, every picture's with your new car. And, and it's just, I can only celebrate you so much, man. Now at some point it becomes idolatry. Because you could just see they're, they're doing it for themselves. They want you to be envious of them. And so this selfish ambition, and I wanted to untangle it from what I would call the, 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 the winning spirit or from the competitive edge. I wanted to untangle it because I don't want you to be a doormat. But for, for the sake of God and his kingdom, learn to be blessed to be a blessing. Can I hear an amen to that? We're blessed to be a blessing. I think of every endeavor that I do. How can I be the best at it? How can I achieve high goals at it? And then how at that state of accomplishment can I be a blessing to others? So those of you in business, those of you in the place of employment, apply that same principle. I want to be the best here. I want to have the best. I want to do the best so that I can help out others, so that I can be a blessing to others, so that I can come up with them. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Joseph. And if you look at Joseph, Joseph was always blessed, but he was always willing to bring people up with him. I actually do not take the position that some preachers try to take with him, that he was prideful as a young man telling his dreams to his brother. I believe that was what God wanted him to do. Some people talk about him having his coat of many colors, and then he comes to his brothers and tells the dream, and oh man, that dude, des that dude deserved to get slapped and tied up and thrown into a pit. No, man, y'all just wicked thinking like the brothers. No, I think of the story of Joseph as a young man, pure, holy, doing the right things, his brothers being like grimy and, and always doing the wrong things, and so God is blessing him, and God is giving him dreams. And when he's sharing it, and this is the way I see the story. I mean, I have a right to see it my way, right? I mean, you can see it your way. Here's how I see it. That when he's sharing his dream with his brothers and his parents, he's basically saying, God has told me this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a leader, and I'm going to help you guys. But they got jealous, and they throw him into a pit. And then he goes from the pit to the Potiphar's house as a slave. And what does he do as a slave? He comes up, man. He becomes the most trusted slave in the house. He produces the most that this man could possibly want. And even when his wife, that man's wife, tried to bring him down, he wouldn't defile that man's wife. He said, I've been given everything here except you. Why would I take you? I have everything I need here. And then he went from that Potiphar's house to prison. And while he was there, even in prison, the guard put him 
him in charge of other prisoners. He was telling the other prisoners their dreams and interpretations. He was lifting others up so that by the time he went from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison, that he's in the palace, he could lift up people with him. And the exact dream that he had that his brothers and his family would serve him came to pass and that God used their hate to give him a place of uh, notoriety. So I, I just really want us to see that selfish ambition can be wicked and evil. But it's not taking away our competitive edge and wanting to be the best. Joseph never compromised. Joseph was the best everywhere he went, and he brought people with him. If you want us to follow you on Instagram, if you want people to follow you at your social media or on your business and these things, you want people to trust you in that place, let them know you're working for them, not to take advantage of them. I love when I heard uh, one customer, uh, one guy was uh, calling up a business to test uh, the employees to see how they would sell to him. And the, uh, the employee, instead of offering the most expensive plan, took the time to hear what the customer was saying to get him the right plan. And that showed me something right there because in sales, you can try to manipulate people to get something that's not right for them, but it's right for you and your paycheck. But how many know that kind of person is not going to trust you over time? You might have got that deal at this time, but eventually they're going to find somebody else that's going to tell the truth on you and show, you know, show them how you use them, that they didn't need all that. You know, when I was, like, I'll use Comcast. We have people that work at Comcast uh, in the church. I love you guys. But Comcast, man, they know how to work you, man. One time I had the Latino channels coming on my cable, man. And I don't flip much through my, my cable, so I didn't even know, man. And I'm like, how in the world do I have the Latino package, you know? So I called them up, man, and I got my gente too, man. I love my gente, you know, but y'all don't come over and watch TV, so it doesn't matter. So I'm calling them up, and I'm like, man, why do I got, like, 14 Spanish channels and they're like oh that's because you got this package and this stuff was included in that package and I'm like y'all never told me I got that package you never told me I was going to have stuff that I don't even use and then how many know watch this because of the competitive market like Netflix they started making Comcast and AT&T change the way they sell you plans now you can go to them and pick those plans a lot more discreet to how you want because back in the day it used to be you had to pay like $150 to get cable and all these packages you didn't want and Netflix is like give me 10 bucks and I'll let you watch whatever you want you know and, and then Hulu came along and said hey we'll let you add on some extra goodies for 20 bucks whatever and so my point is you have to want to come up with people. Don't be selfish with them. I see it so much in the church. People are selfish. They're using people. Pastors, leaders are using people for stardom. Worship bands. This is what gets to me. Sometimes I look at, you know, new Christians, and you guys get excited. You watch these videos, man. They're worshiping God. The churches are full, man. The people on the stage are cool, even though I love you guys. Let's give it up for the band today. They did awesome. Even though we had some sicky poos, y'all came in. You guys are cool. But you know what I'm saying? They got this swag. They got the lights on them. They got the big, you know, the big name behind them. And I watch some of you try to be their fans. And I just get so heartbroken for you because in the world of Christian music and these kinds of things, they're just like any other industry, most of them, sadly. It's, it's very hard to find the ones that are really genuine. And they'll use and abuse you, man. They'll sell you their merchandise, you know, $30 for a hoodie that only cost them $2. Come on. They'll, they'll, I looked at this one. They're one of my favorite. I even listened to them on the way over here. They had their Christmas tour. I looked at it to see how much it would be to bring a family of eight because, you know, that's what I have, six kids and my wife and I. It would be like $7. $700. You know, these people, man, they just take advantage of us. They don't think about us, you know. And in the church, we got to stay away from that. 
On your business, stay away from that. Watch how customers will keep coming back. Dissensions and factions here is the last one. And everybody say, this is just the introduction. Honestly, I just wanted you to capture this moment before we went back into it verse by verse because I won't go back up to 13. But I just felt stuck here for a minute because I want you to see this. Dissensions and factions is very similar to discord, but one of the words that's used there in the Greek is heresies. And notice this right here. Oftentimes, we think about Jehovah Witnesses being heretical, heretics, and rightly so, because of all of this false doctrine. And that's true. But do you know that there is a lot of tolerance in the body of Christ for Christians not understanding everything? In other words, do you know that there could be people in this church right now that might think Jesus being the Son of God means that he was created by God the Father? I meet them all the time who don't quite understand the Trinity. And I think they're still Christians. And you might say, man, how in the world could that person be a Christian? It's because they're not rejecting something out of some pride or something that they were taught. It's actually they haven't been taught the right way of thinking. And so they called on the name of Jesus. They accepted him into, accepted him into their heart, but no one taught them about the Trinity. Let's be honest. How many of you here, not saying you still believe this, but how many of you here, when you became a Christian, really didn't understand the Trinity, whether Jesus was created by the Father or equal, uncreated as the Father? Like that was a little fuzzy when you first became a Christian. Can I just see some hands of just honest people? For sure, me, I didn't know. I mean, I remember sitting and talking to a Jehovah a witness in a stake and shake when I was a new believer, and I didn't even know where he was wrong. I was like, it all made sense to me. It makes, yeah, like Jesus is the son of God. Sons come from fathers. Sons are not as old as fathers. That makes sense, and Jesus is the son. I mean, it's pretty basic, but why is that person who believes that not a heretic, that let's say they're in this church, why are they not a heretic like the Jehovah Witness? Because they're not trying to say they know this for a fact. What they're saying is, I'm a babe in Christ. Explain to me what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And then they grow in their faith. Now, uh, just to give another example, I think many of you would have failed this test because it's a, a majority of Christians think this way. If I would have said to you, the Trinity was at the beginning stages of your Christianity, the Trinity was the Father at times being the sun, and then at other times being the Holy Spirit, like water is liquid, steam, and ice. You don't have to raise your hands to this, but how many of you would have said, yeah, that's kind of how I understood the Trinity, you know? Or you would have said the opposite of that. Instead of three persons acting as one, one, one being acting as three persons, how many would have said, I saw the Trinity as them being separate, almost like the Mormons would say, here's the Father as a God, Jesus is over here as a God, and then the Holy Spirit's a God, but then yet somehow they're one God. You see, I've heard Christians explain it that way, but the Trinity isn't that way. The Trinity is not saying there's one being just acting as three persons, or is there three gods coming together like power rangers to be a one God? That's not it. The Trinity is one being equally shared by three separate persons, and that definition matters. But like I just said, could you have defined it the way I just defined it when you first got saved? Most of you would have been lost. Some of you right now are lost. You're like, where's the contradiction? I don't even understand it. I'm trying to follow this. I need to go back and listen to it. But does that make you a heretic? 
Does that make you a dissentious person right now? Does that make you a factious person? No, because why? You're growing in Christ. Now watch this. Here's where it comes. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Do you know that most dissentious heretics in the King James, do you know that most dissentious heretical people I have met believe the foundations, the fundamentals of the Christian faith? You know what made them heretics? is how they treated and divided from the body of Christ over non-essentials. In other words, by their attitude of saying, well, I don't need a church. I'll just worship God on my own. Do you know that's the attitude of a heretic? I'm not saying that Jehovah Witnesses and doctrinal issues like that are not heretical. Of course they are. They're false doctrine, and they're trying to divide the body of Christ. Today, a Jehovah Witness would love for you to come to their, their uh, kingdom hall and teach you their Watchtower magazine. The Mormons would love to do that same thing, right, because they're cults, they're false doctrine, they, they're heretics, etc. But that's not just who he's warning against here. He's not just warning against this outsider who has like this obvious false doctrine that everybody can go, er, 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 red alert, false doctrine. No, he's talking to them, as we've seen in the context of this letter, that there are people in the church who believe everything like the Christians believe that are there, except for one itty-bitty thing. You just have to be circumcised. That's it. That's it. You just have to be circumcised, and then you're all good. See, that person is a heretic, and I see it the same way in this church. Well, oh, I like Metro Praise. I've seen it here before. I like Metro Praise, but it's just what? It's just this what? Somebody say one little thing. It's just this what little thing that I don't like, and if they don't change it, I'm out of here. I'm going to write my one-star review on Google because i got to let everybody know. And then go on Facebook and either make it known with explicit messages or cryptic messages where people wonder, what am I talking about? You know, do you know that's a heretic? That's, that, that's a person on the verge of being cut out of the kingdom of God. Do you know where I learned this? I learned this early on in Bible college while I started hanging around with pastors because I started realizing there was in-groups and out-groups and this, this movement thought they were better than that movement. And one day while I was studying the book of Galatians and I saw the actual definitions there of factions and dissensions, it just dawned on me. Like, oh my goodness, by us dividing the body of Christ, pointing to others, looking down on them, thinking we're better, we're actually acting as heretics. Heretics. Now, does this mean that our differences don't matter? No, it, it, they do matter. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit after salvation, evidence, and speaking in other tongues. Moody and those downtown don't believe that in that facility and that Bible school on their radio. We should talk about that. I volunteered to come to their classes when some of our students were there. I want to talk about those differences, okay? But do those differences mean that now I can disrespect Moody, treat them as an other, exalt myself above them and act like I have something over them. No, because in that very action, I have not loved them as myself. I have now become provo I, I'm provoking them. I've become conceited, right? And I'm factious. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. Let's go back to verse 13. Take that shot of orange juice. Amen. Here it is. Lord, help me. This will probably be a two or three-parter, but I just wanted you to see that wonderful sandwich. Looking at verse 13, 
Paul calls them his brothers and sisters. He endears them to himself. And he says, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, use it to be humble in love. And this is probably about as far now as we can get into this verse. You have not and nor have I been set free to now live in the flesh. I have seen this as an excuse by so many Christians, and I'm sure you've heard it too, and I probably say, quote, you know, Christians like this, because they will say, because Jesus died for me, it doesn't matter what I do. How many have heard that before? Like you're just out preaching the gospel and, uh, you know, you're talking to somebody and you're asking them, man, what do you think about Jesus? And they say they're a Christian. And I don't know about you, but you're kind of lonely out there. You've been yelled at long enough. You know, you meet one of those folks that say you're a Christian. How many just get a little excited? Like, oh, right, man, you're a Christian. I just, I'll be honest with you, I am. Because, you know, it's intense out there on those streets. Those streets be hard. It'd be hard out there in the streets, hard for a street preacher. And you meet a Christian, they're like, oh, man, I'm a Christian. I go to so-and-so church. And you know what? There's like that part of you that just wants to be like, oh, that's good, man. Well, just pray for us. And a lot of times I, I, I say that. But really, we shouldn't just stop there. What we should do is examine their faith and grace and love. Not the way that I've done it in the past, doubting what they say after they start responding to us, which I've done before, like really hardcore questioning what they're saying. Like literally, if I would run into you guys on the streets, I would hardly believe you were saved, you know? I just, in my mind, it was like, I came to preach to sinners. Everybody I meet now is a sinner. And if you're a Christian, you're calling yourself a Christian, you're an undercover sinner. You have not told me the truth. Because I would not have run into a real Christian out here. That's how real it is. I'm the only one out here. I have some, for some reason, I bought that stupid lie. Well, we know what reason that is. That's the flesh. That's factions, right? I bought that lie. So anyways, in the present, how I am now, when I meet a Christian, sometimes I can just be so happy. Oh, I'm glad that you're a Christian. Awesome. And I forget to examine their faith. One of the things that we need to do with each other and with people that we're preaching to that say they're Christians is go through the deeds of the flesh with them. Because remember, it says here, you are called to be free. Free to live for Jesus, not the flesh. So when I am reminded and I'm doing the right thing and preaching the gospel, I'll say to someone, so, and I usually ask it as a question. So I'll say, so you're not living in sexual immorality, drunkenness, or wild partying, you know? And, and then that, that kind of changes their expression if they're not living right. How many know that would kind of throw them off, right? Because they were thinking that I was going to ask them, are they murdering somebody? Have you raped and pillaged somebody yet this week? And, and, and they're going to say, no, I don't do that. I'm a good person. How many know there are a lot of good persons out there? You meet them all the time. They're so good. So I like to hit them where the most important deeds of the flesh can be quick with them. You know, get right to the point. How many know sexual immorality is popular? Drunkenness is popular? Things like that, you know. It, it, it's, it's right there. Or you can just go right to selfish ambition. So you don't live in selfish ambition. Right, So I examine their faith because we as Christians are called to examine one another and to take heed when we think we stand lest we fall. So if a, a true Christian ever asks you those questions, you should be honored. Let me tell you why. Because if they're doing it with the right motives, that means they care about you. I said this in the first service and it applies to this service. Discipline can save you from destruction. Someone who cares about you and reaches out to care enough to ask you, how are you living? That should bless you. One of my friends, he's high up in one of the major Bible colleges uh, of, of a denomination. Him and I have come up together. He was in my wedding. 
And he's one of those cool guys that just everybody knows him. You know, he's always at the, the head of the class, just a successful dude. And I know he's been, he's been up there with some of the head honchos and moving around, being with the cool cats. But I felt led to ask him this question. Can I read to you uh, the question that I wrote him uh, about two weeks ago? And tell me if you would want to be my friend. So imagine this guy. This guy has kids now in college. His wife has a doctorate. He's a Bible college graduate, been a pastor for over 20 years. And this is my question to him on New Year's Eve. Are you ready for this? Good afternoon, old friend. Hope all is well and happy new year. Just had you on my heart and wanted to ask a sincere question. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being strong and 1 being weak, how close have you been in the last 12 to 18 months to considering homosexuality acceptable in the Christian's life? That's my New Year's text to my bro. That's how I text my bro. Why? Because I care about him. I haven't heard about him for a minute, and you know everybody, it just seems like who gets close to the top starts waffling on that issue right there. And, and listen, instead of talking about him, instead of going to another friend like, oh, have you heard about so-and-so? I wonder what he thinks about this. I went right to him, and I made sure I checked my heart to ask him, man, how are you feeling about this? Because I want to know your heart in this. And then he wrote back to me, man. He's like, one, I don't think about it at all. I am as strong in my faith as I've ever been. Do you know that the Methodists, who were methodical in discipleship, had about 23 questions they would ask each other weekly in accountability to make sure they weren't living in the deeds of the flesh? To the point where most of us would consider it nosy, they had questions about, did you spend money unneedfully on yourself this week? Woo, come on, somebody. Amazon said that was a lie. You know, let's check your Amazon account before you answer so you don't lie and send down some lightning here. But, but let's be honest. I mean, that's a question. You're not, you're not ready to answer that. You're not ready to answer that question. Have I spent things on myself this week that I did not need? I didn't even think about that. Right? I mean, I'm not re most of us are not ready to be answered a question like that. Here's another question. You can look them up. Wesley accountability questions, late 1700s to the 1800s. Here's another one. Did you act, dress, or perform in such a way for people to be drawn to you and to get their attention without turning it towards God? Were you an attention seeker this week? Wow. That's huge. Like, we don't even get that. I mean, some of us came into Christianity, and we think self-promotion is God's way of doing things. The Bible actually says he'll promote us. I even had to double-check myself because I felt like for 2022, I wanted to kind of update what we do, so I wanted to bring out something new in 2022. And so if you notice, brother, go ahead and put it up there. Uh, you know, who needs to come to church this week? You. It's on our Metro Praise page. I've been seeing that these kids on YouTube and these different things, they make these real, like, cool shots, and then they have the words that kind of click you in. And I was like, man, I would like to do that for church and make people kind of smile and let them know like it's a little cheesy like you know I'm being cheesy but it's something that kind of makes you smile because that's what those thumbnails make you think like they're like you know and they're looking up like that you know like I drank a big gulp at 7-Eleven it's like oh, you know it's like something like that and, and so but, but here's my heart here's my heart somebody say keep it real pastor come on keep it real I had to check my heart I'm being honest with you I had to check my heart before I made that one shot before I did the first one 
and say, man, can I do this with a pure heart? Go ahead and put that up there right there. Just click on it. If you click on the picture, it'll come up. This, it looks cheesy like all pastors are cheesy. But I'm being 100% honest with you. For me to take a picture and then to say, hey, man, come to church. Guess who needs to be in church in 2022? You. You know, that right there made me check myself before I wrecked myself. Now, I might be a little too sensitive to it. Some of you are not as sensitive to it. You know why? Because in the ministry, that can become your idol. I can become in bondage to this. I have pastor friends. I will not name them now. They hide their gray, and it doesn't look good. They got black, like pitch black hair, and they're like 15 years older than me. Every time this dude, I got one in particular, every time he preaches, he has on a leather jacket, like with studs or something. He always has on the best shoes, the tightest pants, the tightest pantalones you can find. And he's always the coolest dude in lingo. But something about that man just makes me feel uncomfortable. I feel like you, you're trying too hard. Like I know who you are without that. Like I know what it looks like to gray at 44, you know. And he's got kind of probably the same gray I do. And I, I, just, I just don't want to be that. you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, amen. Going back uh, to the passage in, in Lawrence, would you come please. We've been set free, but to live free. I think that you and I need to take that more serious because the Bible says that everything may be lawful to you in the sense of what's not sin. Like Jesus, uh, Paul's not saying you can do whatever you want in that passage when he goes, all things have become lawful to me. That's not what he means. What he means in that passage, and I believe it's in Romans, is he says all things have become lawful, but not all things are beneficial. What he means is in the freedom of the new covenant. I can now eat pork. We didn't have to, you know, before we couldn't eat pork. But here's the thing. I don't have to eat pork. How many are starting a New Year's resolution where you're not eating at least bacon? Anybody cutting out bacon? Some of you all on the carb less diet and you can eat as much bacon as you want. Like as long as you don't have carbs, you can eat as much bacon. I've done that before, and then I felt so weird. If it works for you, do it. But there was one day I had, seriously, I had um, cracklings with bacon and ranch sauce, and I was eating it for dinner, and I was like, there is a problem that on my diet, I can, it was like the Atkins diet, that I can eat bacon, cracklings, and ranch, but I can't have an apple. <laughs> so I said, I just don't feel right about this, and I backed out, I backed out the Atkins. But... Um, yeah, keto, there it is. Mine was called Atkins, though. Atkins is a form of keto. But, but notice this. Paul said, man, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Joe, can you take a picture in front of your camera and use it as a promo for the church? Yes. But is that indulging my flesh? Some of you can take, shirts with your, uh, take uh, pictures with your shirt off. I've done it for weight loss before and afters, and, and you're not doing it to be vain. I've done pictures with my shirt off without being vain. How many know we have pictures of Jesus with his shirt off and he's not being vain, okay? Okay? Um, but there's other people that, and I say this to all the single ladies, anytime you meet a dude that his profile picture is him taking a picture of himself in the mirror with a shirt off, that's the dude you don't want to have in your life right now, okay? That's the guy you just want to send to church, okay? That's the guy you just want to send to church. So if he's in the mirror, topless, and saying, man, check this out, that's not your guy. That's not your guy. Because he may have some shirts at the beach and working out, doing stuff, but he's not taking that picture, putting it at his profile picture. Okay, you want to see the one where he's holding his Bible, you know, he's holding his Bible, he's going to church, he's checking in, amen. And then he still works out and he does all of that. You're not to use freedom for the flesh. 
I could be here all day, but I just want to give a few more examples, please, and I appreciate your patience. Think about how you and I spend money. Think about how you and I look at what we buy and purchase, as I was talking about those Methodist accountability. We can use a lot of what God has given us for our own indulgence. When I go over the numbers for this church, I'm not saying it uh, to make you feel bad. When I show you the numbers, by God's grace, we gave over. I'm just, just going to say a little bit. We gave away this year over six figures. Come on, somebody. We gave away, away, out of our church. There, it goes over there. You take it, you take it, you take it. Like Oprah Winfrey, you get a car, you get a car. You take, you know, half kid. Over six figures. So I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad. Not saying this at all to make anybody feel bad. But I still have to look at my personal life as I've been buying some new snowboard stuff and buying some new hobby stuff this winter, thinking about different things. I have to look back at my spending and look at my giving records and go, have I been going all in? Because I just can't say I'm a pastor, you know, pull the pastor card. My life is an offering to them. No, I'm telling you, you'd be surprised how many pastors don't even tithe, let alone give offering. Because the way they look at it is, well, y'all don't pay me enough anyway, and I'm a gift to be here, and I could be making more if I was doing something else, blah, 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 you know. No, man, that puts the fear of God in me. But that might be something you deal with, but in a different way, you know. you got to look at your giving record this year. In 22, look at what you did in 21. You know what you're reporting on your taxes and what you made. Did you, did you make 30000 and then tie 30 plus offering? That's uh, uh, tie 3,000 rather. If you tie 30, you would have no left, right? So if you made 30,000 and you, you look at your records, how much should be there for a tithe? How much should be there? 3,000 3, minimum. And then you put on top of that your offering. See, that's what checks me. I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. I'm, I'm keeping it real. I'm looking back, asking the same questions. How about how we treat others and the way we talk about them? Sometimes we use the flesh as an excuse to gossip, to be mean, to be mean, to be disrespectful, to be uh, rude. In the church, we use this as an excuse. Oftentimes, I have found myself in the middle of heated conversations, and I have had to ask myself, if Jesus was here right now, would he say, I'm saying what he's saying? Or would Jesus say, hey, hold on, er, I am not saying what the pastor's saying right now. I've had to have some tough love, some tough talks in 2021. I'm being honest, right? Some tough talks. But there, there has never been a tough talk. And my wife is a witness. The elders here are a witness that there was never a tough talk that I did not go back and ask them, how did you think that went? What was the Lord speaking to you during that time? Why? Because we can use our freedom as an excuse to uh, indulge in the flesh and mistreat people. You know, they're sinners anyway, right? They're going to hell. Or they're leaving the church. I don't need to worry about them anymore. Or you know what? They're just my coworker, and they and you know what? And I know they got problems, and I don't even think they're right for the job. So you know what? I'm gonna blast them right now. I deserve that job. I deserve that customer. And I feel like we have to go back to the scripture and understand the flesh looks like not loving each other, not humbly serving. Just a few more in closing. When I think about how we as a culture, and this is a big thing, how we as a culture are addressing our issues to the world, we oftentimes do it with a holier-than-thou mentality, and we lose points with making our main point because we're getting them to think we're saying things we're not. 
In other words, when someone hears us preach against abortion, what do they automatically think? We don't care about unwanted pregnancies. Why do they think that? Because Christians have not been using their wealth as of late to help mothers in unwanted pregnancies. There are still tons of children waiting for adoption, and the church is not promoting it. We are not getting involved in it. And so what they have now framed the discussion over abortion to make them look better is they have now framed the discussion of y'all conservatives, Christians, all of you people, you don't really do adoption. Now, that's a lie. First of all, we are still leading the charge with our nonprofits being Christian-based, and I would have to go back and check, but I still believe Christians are uh, one of the highest numbers in America by people group adopting, so I think that's a lie. But in their mind, they will hear us not addressing those issues because whenever we talk about abortion, we never talk about the mom and the unwanted pregnancy. And what we're in doing, now get this, everybody, because I've been out there with, I mean, I've been out there when we're preaching, is we use the abortion issue as a way to indulge in our flesh to basically tell people off. Like, I'm angry at the world, you bunch of sinners, so I'm just going to tell you how wicked you are for being murderers, for killing your babies. Instead of coming out there trying to reason with them, trying to explain to them why abortion is one thing and it falls into the category of murder and then how over here neglect towards unwanted pregnancies and mothers that are struggling is another thing and we want to do both and we're out here first and foremost to stop the murder so we can do an adoption. How do I try to guard that when I'm preaching at abortion clinics from the flesh? As I say, oftentimes when I'm preaching, I ask the Lord to lead me because he gave this to me, and I want to be used every time I say it is, we not only want to tell you abortion is murder, we will adopt your unwanted pregnancies. And we who are out there will be the first ones to step up, including my family. If there is a pregnant woman there, we're stepping up now. Problem solved. This baby has a place to live, starting with my home. And we are who are preaching out there. We know who we are who have made those commitments. We're ready to go. Because we're not using our preaching to just be divisive towards a culture that we know is wrong. We know they're full of the devil. Amen. How many knows America's full of the devil right now? They, they're full of the devil. But we're going to treat them with respect. Look at what it says. Rather serve another, one another, humbly in love. Just in church? No. Outside in front of the abortion clinic counts, doesn't it? Just when people like you, no, everywhere you go. Now, once again, do we have to be bold? Yes, and I'll give this last example. I feel that we as Christians in our marriages have lost this right here, and we indulge in the flesh to fight and be petty over issues that the devil just sits back and puts a notch on his belt and goes, another marriage bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. There's that marriage. There's that marriage. Why? Because in the marriage, the two, full of the flesh, fight over petty things, fight for themselves to be right, to get their way, and in what they're, what they're really doing is indulging the flesh. I'm not saying every marriage issue is like this, but I'm saying I've been counseling many, many marriages in 2021 that when you really hear about it, you get into the situation, what do you see? the flesh. That's the flesh, ma'am. That's the flesh, sir. That's why the marriage is not working. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church when I start talking about marriage. I need to do a whole series on marriage. Come on. I realized early on that I could indulge myself in trying to be right with my wife and put her in positions of submission 
that made me feel better. I know that's hard to hear from a pastor, but it happens. We are, as men, given a place of authority. And like the old saying goes, as you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I remember early on that I had a way and a tone with Nancy that could get her to back down and cower so that I could be right. But that wasn't leading her. That was indulging my flesh. That wasn't loving her the way I wanted to love her. And so as we began to learn how to fight like Christians, which we teach in marriage counseling, we began to understand in the fight, even though I'm the one in charge, I don't have the right to lose my temper and start demanding her to follow what I say in that moment. I have to call upon her to use her rational mind to start making the right choices, not just demand them from her. So we began to come up with different codes. I'm weird, and it worked for us, but here's something that will help you maybe. We began to come up with codes that let each other know we're going to enter into a place of rationality and not just emoting. And so code yellow is I'm feeling uncomfortable, back off, pump the brakes like you would think in a car. Code red is we need to stop and someone needs to start listening. So whoever calls it first is in control right at that moment. Even though I'm the head of the house, if my wife calls code yellow, I'm stopping, she's talking. That just made sense to me. I'm a pretty dull guy, okay? I'm really dull at understanding women. I love what my dad posted up one time. The first volume of How to Understand a Woman just came out, and it's a book like this high. Like, I would be that guy, and after reading it, I still wouldn't understand anything, right? Like, like there's another book that I saw in an in a old a couple's of bathroom. It was all that I know about women, and then it was a blank book, you know? It was a man writing a book. All I know about women was a blank book. So... So with me in marriage, that made so much sense because I realized, here's the flesh. Here, here it is, it, it, like literally like a stoplight going from red to yellow or yellow to red. Here's how I know I'm in the flesh. If my wife is saying something like this code yellow or code red, and I'm not pumping the brakes, stopping, yielding, or listening, I don't care how right, I could be speaking in tongues, prophesying Jesus' return to the minute, ready to write a book to sell to you all. I could have everything together. Doesn't this sound like Corinthians? I could have all of this, give my very life to be a martyr, and yet to God I would be a clinging symbol because without love it profits nothing. I don't know what it will look like in your life. We're going to go back through this until we get it all. Trust me. Just show them the pictures, the cute pictures that I have to get to down. It's all at the bottom. We'll be in this section for a long time. It's at the bottom of the notes, good sir. Please scroll down. I have so much to go over with you. We are only in one verse. Just keep scrolling so they can get an idea. Take a look at these different ideas. I wrote a whole book about this in him that addresses a lot of these issues. But I want you to come back. Next week, starting, by God's grace, thank you, sir, I want you to come back starting next week, hitting on the real things of your flesh, ready to go, okay? Like, I don't want you coming back here going, okay, uh, Joe, I already got this thing, spirit versus the flesh, I'm not having orgies or debauchery, I'm ready to go. No, I want you to come and tell on yourself. Not that I'm going to call on you, but I'm just saying, I want you to come and tell on yourself, like I just did about four or five times here. 
Because that's what it's going to be real in this last part of the series. Because we'll blow, I believe, right by chapter 6. So I need to be careful what I say because sometimes things go differently. We could be here in chapter 6 forever. But I really feel 5 is the heart of this whole book now that we're going to conclude with. And then give Paul's parting messages in 6. So I don't know how long we'll be here. Part of my heart is to actually go through each one of the deeds of the flesh for a sermon. So every deed, we talk about sexual immorality one week. Next one, you know, sexual impurity. Next week, debauchery. Is everybody getting that? And then spend a week on every fruit of the Spirit. One week, we just talk about love and what it looks like. Peace, uh, joy, peace. I mean, this thing can turn into a whole year right here, just right now. Are you all ready for this? I don't know where God will take us, but I just want you to go through the sandwich of it this week. Look over some of the notes. Look at the pictures. Get the book in him. It's free if you can't afford it or free online. And what we want to do is start going to where our flesh is at because I want this year in this service to be a year of crucified flesh, living full in the spirit. How many want more love in their life? Amen. More joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these wonderful things. Can you stand up and let's give it up for Jesus today. Can we give it up for Jesus? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? One of my prayers is that those of you who know this probably by heart or have heard it a hundred times, get things out of this passage you never have before. Just pray this week, right? Let's just go deep into this series. Father, I thank you today that you're helping us discern the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. I pray, oh God, that we'll see sandwiched in here is our love for one another. And that this touches on how we treat people on our job. This touches on our marriages. This touches on how we spend money. This impacts the way we communicate and fellowship in the church. And the way we communicate in the, the world and show them, our, show them the gospel, show them our lives. God, help us to follow your spirit. Right now in an attitude of prayer, if you don't know Jesus yet, the, the first thing to do is to be born again of the Spirit so you can start knowing Him personally. If you don't have that relationship yet, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. Confess Him to be the Lord of your life. Just say, Jesus, take over. Lead me. Guide me. Those of you who are already Christians, would you start to pray right now that God will show you any deed of the flesh anything out of selfish ambition, any of those things that we talked about, and take them out of your life and crucify them right now. Right now, in the name of Jesus. We're going to close with these altars open for prayer. And also today, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be empowered, to live holy, to see signs and wonders, that's what the Spirit will do as well. Because remember, the signs and wonders are not the most important. The most important is the fruit. Because if you don't have the fruit, you don't have Jesus at your root. I know a lot of people, like the Bible says, who have cast out devils, speak in tongues, but they are not going to go to heaven. Jesus will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. So I want to make sure that we put those priorities straight. Get to know Jesus during this series. If you're a Christian, continue to know him. Check your heart. And if you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receive it during this time. That means you can pray in other tongues. You can have signs and wonders follow your life. Be a supernatural Christian. But do so with the character. Don't let your gifts take you to a place where your character can't keep you. 
And in closing right now, because I felt that during the uh, marriage talk, that it got quiet. I know sometimes marriage issues are things we feel embarrassed about or ashamed over. I just want to remove that shame, and I want to pray for every marriage in here to start off this new year in the marriage of of the Spirit, that the marriages here will not be in the flesh. That whatever's been of the flesh, you'll get, rid, you'll get rid of it right now. Lord, I pray for you to bless marriages, husbands and wives. Lord, we pray that the devil doesn't get another notch in his belt today. We pray for these homes to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. We pray, oh God, that generations uh, of curses or generational curses that have come upon bad behavior and bad ways of thinking will be broken in the name of Jesus. Patterns that have been adopted will be broken that marriages will come forth few moments right now let's just pray if you're in this house and you're married pray for your marriage if you're needing something else you can come on up and pray with us or if you want to pray with one of the things we talked about but I just feel led of the Lord I want to pray for sexual purity if you've been in this place uh, in this church for any time at all and you're still dealing with pornography or overwhelming thoughts of perversion. Let us pray for you today. Whether you're male or female, young or old, it doesn't matter. I pray for purity. Hallelujah. I pray this year there will be a holiness, holiness in your mind, holiness in your behavior. Break the chains of perversion, Father, in the name of Jesus. Break every bondage over the people's minds and hearts today. There was a day I looked at pornography and there was a day I didn't look at it anymore. Today's your day. Before you go, come on, make this your year of freedom from pornography or perversion. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, wash the mind. Wash the mind today. Cleanse the heart. Oh, Jesus. Oh, there is freedom. There is freedom. Come on, there is freedom. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but take some time to receive freedom. God set you free, not to give into the flesh, but to live humbly in love. For all the love is fulfilled in this one command, to love one another. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is freedom. 